speak to us and change us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are talking about community today. A few years ago, there was a man by the name of Christopher Glestad. He was a Norwegian man, and he was at the age of 26, and he decided he wanted an adventure. So he got a bunch of gear together, and then he chartered a plane so that he could fly into the remote nowhere of the Northwest Territory of Canada. And he chartered this plane to take him uh, about an hour's flight from the nearest village of just a few hundred to a lake that didn't even have a name northern Canada. And they left him there alone. He had packed some gear, he had brought some food, but there he was by himself. So when he got there, he chopped down some trees, built a log cabin, tried to hunt for his own food and all of that stuff. And, and he was doing a good job of surviving. But what he found very quickly was that it was extremely hard. Not, not just to, to live off the land. I mean, that's, that's normal hard. He had done that before. But it was hard because he was so isolated from everyone. He, he says that in an interview afterwards that he said, you know, the, the friends and family, I knew I liked them beforehand, but I didn't realize I needed them until I hadn't heard their voice. He even had a satellite phone and he could call some people, but it wasn't enough. He said he went a period of 14 days without hearing another person's voice at all. He tried to talk to himself and he sounded crazy. He tried to sing, he couldn't carry a tune. And he just felt so isolated that he had to give up after six months because he missed people. See, God created us for community, for relationships. In fact, of everything that God created in the entire universe, he said, good, 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 good. The only, the only thing he said was not good. Do you know what it was? It's not good for man to be alone. It's the only thing that God said wasn't good at the beginning. So we are made for relationships. We are made for community. There's a reason why isolation breeds some difficulties. There was a study out of BYU just a few years ago that found that if people are living lonely lives for a long time, it has the same effect on your body physically as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Loneliness is tough on us, emotionally and physically. We need relationships. And I think this is so important um, because we live in such difficult times that, that right now, and this was even pre-pandemic, guys, right now, for the first time in history, teenagers report more loneliness than people over 50. And we're going to talk about some digital reasons for that in a couple weeks. But people struggle. Here in Denver, pre-pandemic 2019, we were ranked as the third loneliest city in America. We need relationships. We long for relationships. And loneliness kills us. Loneliness kills us. There's a reason why even people in solitary confinement are required by law to be out for two hours a day. Because if they're not, they go crazy, literally. We need relationships. We need connection. We need people around us. We need to choose community even when it's hard. So in this series, Engage, we're learning how to normalize a better life. None of us want to go back. Only 9% of people want to go back to life pre-pandemic. So we're looking for something better. So we're talking about some basic practices that we can put in our life, some building blocks, that if we build on those things, it will help us normalize a better life. And today, one of those practices is community. And we need to learn to choose community. And in particular, we're going to learn about a specific type of community today that's so important to us. And it is the community of other followers of Jesus. So what we're going to learn today, get this, what we're going to learn is that unity in community is a foretaste of eternity. Okay? Unity in community is a foretaste of eternity. When we have other people who believe in God with us, 
to encourage us, to challenge us, to help us grow together, that that community is a foretaste of eternity, of heaven. And we can experience that and have that now to help us normalize a better life. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open with me to Psalm 133. Psalm 133. If you have a smartphone, you can get there too. If you're using the YouVersion Bible app, you can go ahead and find the Arise Church Denver event. And on there, you can take some notes on this passage. It's a very short psalm written by David. It's one of the songs he wrote to talk about why we need community and what happens in community. So I'm going to start there in verse 1 of Psalm 133. And and here's kind of like the the subscript of the song. It says, a song of ascents, a grouping of songs here in this section of the Psalms. And it says, of David written by David. He said, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. So the first thing I want you to notice here is that it's written by David, this psalm. So David, of course, was the king of Israel. He slayed a giant, the slingshot, remember that? And then he became king of all of Israel. He was also a prolific songwriter. Dudes, This guy was the man, right? Killed people as a warrior. He wrote songs. Man, we all wish we could be like him, right? Rockstar warrior. That's that's a pretty cool title, right? So here's David, and he writes one of these songs, and he's talking about how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity, this community that we can have together. And we're not told when he wrote this or what the situation was, but there was one fascinating situation that happened in his life. So it was early on. It was after he slayed the giant. Actually, after he became a military hero, Working for Saul, Saul began to get jealous of him and hated him. Now, David became best friend with Saul's son, Jonathan. They became best friends. They loved each other. It was one of the the best friendships you can see in the entire Bible. These guys were, were just encouraging each other. They loved each other. It was awesome, this friendship. But because Saul hated David, because that's what jealousy does, it turns into hatred for the other person, then, then he tried to kill David threw spears at him. There's these scenes, like a couple different times David tried to, or Saul tried to kill David with a spear. So finally, Jonathan was like, dude, my dad wants to kill you. You need to run away. You need to run for your life. So David has to take off by himself on foot. So he runs away. And during this time, things are really bad for David because he's by himself. You, you see him and he literally d- does some bad stuff because that's what we do when we get by ourselves, don't we? We do stupid things on our own. And he goes, and he lies to a priest in order to basically steal some food. You didn't know that about David, right? Okay. He did some bad stuff. And, and then he got kind of like captured by one of the enemy kings. And David had to like pretend to be insane for this guy to let him go. He's frothing at the mouth. That's literally what he did in order to pretend to be insane. So he's doing all sorts of crazy things because he's desperate. And finally, in 1 Samuel 22, verse 1, it says that Dave, or David had to run and he hid in a cave all by himself. That's what happened. Things have been bad. He's by himself, things get worse, and then he went and hid in a cave. I think we do the same thing. When, we're, when things are not going well in our life, we kind of push back from other people. And, and then we push them away. We do this. And then we wonder, like, why isn't that person, why haven't they reached out to me? They might, must not care about me. Oh, what a terrible person. What a bad friend. I thought I had friends. And we push ourselves even farther and farther away from the people that would have cared for us. And then we kind of hide by ourselves, isolated in a cave. Anybody ever done that? It's so easy to do that in our life today because you can, um, you can never leave your home. Some of you are online and you, you haven't been outside of the house in, in days, okay? You can do that, right? You, you can drive into your garage, never talk to any of your neighbors, close the garage door, sit at your laptop, order your food, right? 
They'll bring it to your door, door and it, it, you don't even have to talk to the guy who's the delivery guy anymore, right? No touch contact, right? Okay, not getting COVID and you're getting more isolated, right? So you can live your whole life, watch your shows, go to work, play video games on Twitch or whatever you're doing, never see another human person, not have any real meaningly, meaningful communication. You're in your cave. So that's where David was, isolated, pushed people away, basically. He's hiding by himself. But one amazing thing happens when David is in the cave there in 1 Samuel 22, because his brothers find out where he is, and they find him, and they come towards him. And then a whole bunch of other guys come as well. We pick this up in verse 2 of 1 Samuel 22. It says that every man who was desperate, in debt, or discontented rallied around David, and he became their leader. I love this. These guys are, are like coming around. And, and look at that trio of words to describe these men, right? Desperate, in debt, and discontented, okay? It's like not the people you want to find on the dating app, right? Desperate, in debt, and discontented. But these are the people who realize, just like David, David's there, isolated. He's desperate, in debt, and discontented. We got to come around him. And this is, I, I, I wonder if David's relying back to this because he's like, wow, how good and pleasant it is when God's people come together in unity. He's like, when I was at my lowest point, he remembers when these guys came around me. And, and here's the thing. David was in a bad state, right? But so were all these dudes too. If we are honest enough for one minute with other people around us, we'd be able to see that they're struggling with the same things that we're struggling with. They feel isolated, alone, needing a relationship. So do I. And, and if we drop our guard just enough to admit that we're struggling, other people are like, me too. Me too. And if we say, I need help, that's what we struggle to do. We struggle to ask for help, don't we? But if we just did that, other people would be like, yeah, I get it, because I feel the same way. And that's why we need community. One of our core values here is vibrant community. And by that, we mean that when we are real with each other, we grow together. When we are real with each other, we grow together. So we encourage that here in our church to be real. We have to be real. We have to be vulnerable because everybody else is dealing with the same crud or different crud, right? They're in debt, discontented too. But, but David needed to go in that cave. And when he did that, all these people came around him and they were dealing with the same stuff, but they could go through it together. And they did. And a lot of those guys became David's mighty men, as you read about later in the scriptures. So, so David, as he's writing, he, he's writing this from a place of experience. He said, I know what it's like to be alone and isolated and need friends. And I know what it's like to have people come around me, to encourage me and love me and lift me up. So when he says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity, he says from personal experience. And, and I hope that we too can experience what this type of community is like. It's interesting that, that this isn't just any type of person, okay? These, these desperate people, okay, you're like, oh, can I just find any desperate, crazy, in-debt person on the street, right? Okay. But, but David says in particular, it's good and pleasant when God's people live together in unity, right? God's people. He's, he, he zeroes that out. Because there's something about sharing a faith in God that puts other people around me who can encourage me and strengthen me. We share something in common. It's, it's for God's people. And I'm saying that because some of you guys have friends and your friends are not friends, right? They're not encouraging you. They're not building you up. They're leading you into more sin and temptation. You go out with them and you realize, oh my gosh, I'm doing things that I shouldn't be doing. See, our community that we're around can shape us. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that bad company corrupts good character. You ever been there? You don't have to raise your hand. Okay? The people that you're with drive down your character. You start doing stuff that even like an hour beforehand, you're like, I'd never do that. And then all of a sudden you find yourself, oh my gosh, why did I just do that? Bad company corrupts good character. In the ISV, it's translated as wicked friends lead to evil ends. I've heard it said that you, you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. The people that you're around shape you. And it can be for bad or like Proverbs 13.20 says, walk with the wise and become wise. If you surround yourself with people who are wise, who are encouraging, who share your faith and are going to pull you out of your mess instead of pushing you in or jumping in with you, those are the people that will shape us for the better. And that's why David here is saying that it's when God's people, there's a unity in, in our faith that we need in community. But he goes on to say how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together, it says in verse 1. Live together. I think that's so interesting. That word live together means to dwell, to hang out. It was even the word for people that when they lived in a house or dwelled in a tent, okay? This is life. This is doing life, life on life together. And there's something about that. That it isn't just like, I see you every once in a while, but it's doing life together. That's why we build our community groups here the way we do. We're talking a lot about them today because we're launching them here in a couple weeks, okay? Community groups, what, what we do for community groups here is that you hear a message on a Sunday, then you show up at a community group throughout the week. I think there's even some Sunday afternoons all the way, you know, throughout the week. And you discuss what you heard on Sunday, but you do it in an apartment, in a home. A lot of them are, you know, some of them are online only, some of them are hybrid, some of them are only in people's homes. But you see into other people's homes, you talk about life, because what happens when you start doing this week in and week out is you have to be real. Because at some point you're going to show up and you're going to be upset and angry and you're going to be snippy and someone's going to say, what's going on? And you're like, oh, I just found out my mom has cancer. My, my boss just ripped me a new one. I think I'm going to lose my job. We share these real things that are happening in our lives and people around you can encourage you, pray for you, or, or when you're doing something stupid can be like, actually, you know, the scriptures tell us we're not supposed to do that, right? But you have people that are in your life with you. They're seeing what you're doing, how you're acting. It's life on life. And that's when the blessings of community are found in those groups. It's interesting, there was a... Um, if you've ever read um, Charles Duhigg's book, The Power of Habit, he has a whole chapter devoted to studying groups, particularly at Rick Warren's church, Saddleback Church out in California. Rick Warren is, of course, like the best-selling nonfiction writer of all time in purpose-driven life other than the Bible. Like, very famous guy, Rick Warren, his church. And Charles Duhigg went and studied because they're seeing all these people whose lives are being transformed in this church. So even though I don't know if Charles Duhigg is a Christian or not, he's just like, I've got to study this because I'm talking about habits. And what he isolated as what makes that church work so well is that there's a sermon that gets preached and there's a whole crowd of people that hear the message. And you see other people who believe like you do. You're like, wow, look how many people there are that follow Jesus. And then you go to a small group during the week and you talk about the Bible, but it's real people who know your real life. And in the book, Charles Duhigg says, it's like a one-two punch. If you want to change your life for the better, you need that one-two punch. Sunday morning, and small group, because you can come in here on Sundays, guys, let's be honest. You come in, you leave, you don't talk to anybody. Or even if you talk, you say, hey, life's good, see you later. 
That's why we're really emphasizing the Connect Four right now, because it's so easy not to have any real life with people when you come to church. We need those communities. So if you're online, you've been isolated for a while now, get in a group. We have online-only groups. If you're here in person, we got online and in-person and hybrid groups. So we encourage you to get in one of those groups so that you can live life on life and have that powerful transformation happen with the one-two punch that will normalize that better life for you. Encourage you to choose community. And I said, said our big idea today is that unity in community is a foretaste of eternity. So, so the next ingredient, as we see here in the end of verse one, is unity, right? Live together in unity. Because there has to be a commitment to community that overcomes our differences. We have to commit to a unity, to being together, or else we'll just fray and separate apart. Unity is, is one of the most important things here. And I'm saying that because sometimes, and, and for a lot of you, the last place you think of in the world is church when it comes to the word unity, right? You've seen divisiveness and anger and, and, and meanness in church. Some of you, like myself, have the worst hurts of your life from other Christians, right? It's true. And yet we are commanded to seek unity. It's when we find that unity together, when we push over our differences, say, I'm going to love you anyways, <laughs> that's when we can actually find that foretaste of eternity. We can taste heaven together. So I, I want to encourage you guys to do that, to, to strive for unity. I think Hebrews 13.1 encapsulates the type of love that we have to have for each other because it says in that verse, in Hebrews 13.1, um, to keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Brotherly love with sisterly love. I say this because now I have three kids. I get to see a lot of interaction between brothers and sisters, right? We have uh, our McKinley, our four-and-a-half-year-old, and then our twins are almost two, a boy and a girl. And it turns out that siblings fight with each other. Did you guys know that? Some of you are like, oh, I, never, I didn't know that. I, I, I'm an only child. I didn't know. turns out they do. Because, and, and especially with twins, like, we have to give them like two of the exact same toy, right? And we only have one swing, and only one person can get in the swing at a time, Right? So the kid that's in the swing is totally happy. The other one's throwing a fit and angry. Okay, one has the toy. The other one takes the toy. They bite each other. It turns out they bite too. They bite each other. They hit each other. There's conflict, right? And, and with, with kids, I can't be like, well, I guess they don't like each other. Too bad. Yeah, right. The next 18 years are going to be miserable, right? Okay, we have to resolve conflict between them. We have to teach them, even now, they're, they're not even two years old, to say, I'm sorry, to have the other person say, I forgive you. We're working on that already, right? To take turns, to admit when they were doing wrong, to, to take some time out when they're too angry, and then come back together again so that they can resolve things. Because man, it would be a miserable 18 years, right? You can't give somebody the silent treatment for 14 years. I mean, maybe you can. It sounds miserable, right? But siblings have to learn to get along, even though they have differences, even though sometimes they don't like each other but they love each other because they're siblings. So we as followers of Jesus are commanded to love each other like that, like a brother and sister, that even if we have differences, even if we disagree, even if we hurt each other, we seek and we grant forgiveness. We seek reconciliation. We're commanded by Paul in Romans that far be it to you, be at peace with everyone. If you can at all, get peace with another person, reconcile with them. If it's up to you at all, do it. 
we need to be the peacemakers. We need to love each other even when it's hard. And, and I'm saying that because a, a church needs to be united and we have a lot of differences. Here, here's a little bonus point. Unity is not uniformity. A little secret here. Unity is not uniformity. If you go to a church and everyone looks the same as you, they talk the same, they think the same, you're probably not in church. Church is filled with people, especially here. We we have churches of different races, nationalities, ethnicities. People speak different languages. They have different political persuasions. They vote differently. They think differently. They act differently. They talk differently. And, And that's what church is. Because... Our church here, it's a foretaste of eternity, and it tells us, it tells us in Revelation chapter 7 and in 9 that they're worshiping the Lamb as people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, centered around Jesus the Lamb. So that means if heaven is like that, church should be like that too. And that means there are people here that think completely differently than you, that vote completely different than you, that think masks are ridiculous, or that think you're ridiculous for not wearing a mask right? We have differences, and social media right now is just dividing our nation and dividing our nation and dividing churches, sadly. But we as a church have to strive for unity in the midst of diversity, because we're centered around Jesus Christ. He's what brings us together, and we should be the most diverse place in the world. How does it make sense? It doesn't, but it only makes sense because we worship Jesus and we strive for unity together. And when we do that, it is a foretaste of eternity. It's a foretaste of eternity. So, so David goes on to describe what this foretaste of eternity, what this blessing is like, and he uses two images to help us visualize and to kind of feel what, what it is like to have this unity and community. And I love these two images. They're, they're a little bizarre towards us, so, so let me explain them. In verse 2, David says, it is like precious oil poured on the head, unity and community. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. What the heck is that? Okay. We're like, what? Okay. So oil was used in those days to anoint someone. It it had a whole bunch of different uses, just like it does today. But it says a precious oil. This is an expensive oil. Very costly. It's interesting. The word precious is the same word that's used when it's talking about how good and pleasant it is when God's people dwell together in verse 1. So this is a very good thing, a, a, a special thing. And it's this special oil that probably would have cost a lot of money that's getting poured on Aaron. So who's Aaron? Well, Aaron was the very first high priest. He was the brother of Moses. And because he was chosen by God to be basically the spokesperson between God and mankind, he was anointed by Moses. And in order to do that, to symbolize God's special provision on this, God's special Holy Spirit coming down on Aaron, they poured oil on his head as a symbol of anointing. But more than that, we see that this oil isn't just a tiny little bit of oil on his head, right? It's so much oil that it's coming down his hair, onto his beard, and onto his collar of his robe. I don't know exactly what this is like, but we tried to recreate this. When, during my time in Nebraska, we tried to create this with a guy named Mark in my church. He was one of the leaders in my church. I thought, hey, Mark, you got a great beard. Let's try this oil thing on you. So I want to show you this little video uh, of what it looks like to pour this much oil on someone's head. I don't know if we did it right. And it's probably not the, the nicest oil. It's the, the cheapest oil at Sam's. But 
we poured this oil on, and that's a, when it's enough oil to go on your beard and on your collar, that's a lot, right? That seems a little messy, doesn't it? Maybe that's the point. It's messy. It's extravagant to use that much of an expensive oil on a person. And yet, that's what David tells us that unity and community is like. It's, it's a little bit messy. Have you guys ever felt the messiness of community? You know, sometimes, to have oil on the collar of your, I don't think that would be like very pleasant of a feeling, right? But, but it's all over the place. But yet it's something special. It's like this poured out blessing. You're like, this is great, but you can, you can feel it. And I wonder if that's kind of how community is sometimes. It's awesome, but also messy, right? It's awesome and messy. There, there's the messiness of hearing about life and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you just did that, right? We hear someone sin and we're like, oh my gosh, it's messy. But guess what? That's what community is. It's hearing about their mess. Them hearing about your mess, and we love each other anyways. We, we sometimes hurt each other. It's messy. Yet we forgive each other, which makes it beautiful. That's what we do. It's a special, powerful thing. And, and there's even something about the feeling of this. David describes it. He's, he wants you to feel that on your neck. He wants you to feel it on your head. There's a tangible feeling of this unity in community. And I know that that's how community feels like. I remember a few years ago when I was dealing with miscarriages, Christopher Titsworth here in the back, he's in our community group. Christopher said, Matt, we're going shooting. When I was, I was having a rough day. So he picked me up at my house and we went down to the shooting range and it helped so much to be with a friend just shooting stuff. Thank you, Christopher. It was a little messy, you know, gunpowder, residue on your hands, whatever. It's messy, but it's community and it felt so good. Or, or I remember last year when I was going through some stuff Casey Lamb in our community group just showed up at our house. That's kind of how messy it is, right? It's like, don't you call first? No, no, no. You show up at people's house in community, right? Showed up at our house to give Melissa and I flowers and to hug us in the midst of some tough stuff. That's what community does. It's messy, but it's beautiful. That's what David is telling us. Don't you want that? It's a foretaste of eternity. And he goes on now with the second image. So he said it's like oil, this, this massive amount of oil being poured on, on Aaron's beard. But it's also like, verse 3, it is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life, forevermore. So what's going on there? Well, Hermon was the tallest mountain in Israel. About 9,200 feet. Okay, that's not much for us Coloradans. But from sea level at the Mediterranean Sea to 9,200 feet, that's a lot. And it's even more considering that Mount Zion, where Jerusalem and the temple were built, was only at 2,500 feet above sea level. And there on Mount Hermon, it was known as a very luscious green mountain because every morning would be a ton of dew. See, the Mediterranean Ocean, or the Mediterranean Sea, the wind would pick up and it would go right to the top of Mount Hermon and leave dew there and it would be wet all year round. In the winter, there was a ton of snow there, even in the Middle East. Not so Mount Zion. Mount Zion was arid. It's the desert. But it's where God's people lived. It's the city of David, Jerusalem. And so David's like, just imagine, it, it, unity and community is like as if all that water, all that dew, all of that moisture, all that precipitation, all the snow got transplanted here among us. It's going to be wet, a little messy again, right? But it's everywhere around us. That's what unity and community is supposed to feel like. God's blessing just all around you as you experience it. And I want you to experience that community as well because it is a foretaste of eternity. Now, as I say that, 
I know that there are some people who are like, Matt, Christian community has not been a foretaste of eternity for me. It's been a, like a, tastes like burnt hell sometimes, right? Ugh, it does not feel good. I've, I've been hurt. I've been stabbed in the back. I've gone to a church and I'm like, oh my God, I cannot stand those people, right? Some of you have been to a community group. It wasn't a good fit. What I'm encouraging everyone to do is to try again, okay? Just try again. Try again with community. Try again to, to experience this because when we do find it, it's hard sometimes. It's messy. It is a little glimpse of heaven here on earth, a foretaste of the divine. We can see people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation around us. We can sit in their living rooms together, rich and poor, middle class, whatever our differences, we can sit together, encourage each other, care for each other, hear each other's stories, and love each other. That's what I want. And what's amazing is that when we do it, it does change our lives. I've shared some studies in every single um, of my messages so far in the series so far, and it's the same thing with community, that if you choose community, <laughs> you're much less likely to struggle with an addiction, much less likely to have despair, hopelessness, or depression, or suicide. Um, you're also much more likely to be happy. Okay? There was one article, not a Christian article, but it was written, and it said, the secret to sustained happiness is found in religious community. It's the secret, guys. I just blew the lid off of it, okay? Sustained happiness. It's found in community like this. We need it. We're made for community. So I want to encourage you to choose community. You know, um, it, it says that, you know, David writes this as, as King David, and he talks about being on Mount Zion where God's people were in the temple. He's like, oh, it's just so amazing that we can get together. What's really fascinating is that one of David's descendants was Jesus. And Jesus came, and he loved God's people there. In fact, that there's one scene where he's looking over Jerusalem, looking over Mount Zion and the temple, and, and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Oh, I wish I could be like a mother hen and gra- gather up my chicks in my arms, in my wings. That's what Jesus said. But you know what happened in Jerusalem to him? Those people he loved and served and came to save rejected him. They mistreated him. They betrayed him. They put him up on a trial there in Jerusalem, a fake trial where they convicted him of a crime that he did not commit. But then, this is the saddest part of all, they kicked him out of the city. They made Jesus carry a cross and he was too weak. Somebody else had to help him. Carried this cross out of the city, out of Jerusalem, off of Mount Zion and out to the hill of the skull, Golgotha because he had to be executed out of the city. It was like being kicked out of the family of God. See, Jesus was cut off when he died on the cross. That's why even on the cross he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was cut off even from his father in heaven. But he was cut off from community, from relationship, so that we can be brought back into be the people of God. When Jesus died on the cross, it was not only to forgive us our sin and give us eternal life, but also to draw us back into community with our Father in heaven and with brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ around the world. He wants us to have community. So Jesus died for. This week, um, I, I got to get together with a group of pastors from all over the, the country. I've been in this cohort now. This is my third group time meeting with this group of guys. And I remember on Tuesday, 
I'm the only one here in Denver. Everybody else has to come from far away. But I get to be here, which is kind of cool because it's set here. But um, this group of guys, nine younger pastors and then three um, older pastors that are kind of our mentors. And the very first discussion, one of them was like, how's everybody feeling? Just go around and share. And, and I shared when it was my turn. I'm like, it's, it's kind of rough right now, okay? The, the pandemic is, is difficult. It's exhausting trying to make decisions about masks and meeting together. And, and you know, we're still not seeing people in person like we, we did before. Um, I know a lot of you are online. We love you. Thank you for joining us online. But it's hard, especially as a pastor. I can't even see the people I love. I say, like, one of the hardest things for me is people that I've poured my life into that ghost me. Has anybody had somebody ghost them? Don't respond to calls. I'm like, what the heck is wrong with you? At least tell me I don't like you, Matt. I'd prefer that to being ghosted, okay? And I just shared, like, it's been kind of rough. And to make it even more rough, the things that were kind of filling me up, like, aren't working as well as the same because now I got these three young kids that are up all the time. Even when we go on a vacation, turns out a vacation with kids is just called a trip, found out. But these things that, like, used to fill me up, like, I just feel drained. I shared that at the very beginning of this meeting on Tuesday. But then I spent, you know, we spent Tuesday night together and Wednesday and Thursday, and we hung out, and we went axe throwing. For some reason, there's something good about just hitting a target, gun, you know, whatever. We, we did it, and we talked, and they encouraged me and challenged me. And for some reason, by the end of the week, I feel rejuvenated. I feel awesome. It wasn't like one specific word. It wasn't like an aha moment. It was just being around people who are my community, these these brothers in Jesus Christ who are pastors around the globe and know exactly, or around the, the country, that know exactly what it's like to be a lead pastor. And to have that community is rejuvenating. It lifts us up. And I'm saying that because some of you guys need that community right now. So choose community. Make this part of your life. Build your life around the community that you can have in church. So we're going to encourage everybody to make that step today. Join a group. <laughs> Join a group. You can fill out the form online here. There's a little code. You can go in the back. We've got two iPads. Sawyer will be your concierge to help you find the best group for you. We meet for 12 weeks straight here in the fall. You can try one. If you don't like it, try another. It's okay. If you tried one, you've had a bad experience in the past, go back and try a different one. And then if you can't find one that fits with your schedule, Sawyer will help you start a new one. Okay? Because we need that community around us. We need encouragement. So that's the step I want to encourage you guys to take today. And, and another way to do it is to go upstairs to our start class, okay? We, we did our very first one after the first service. Go upstairs. It, it, you can bypass the back of the room. Just go upstairs, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the same stuff up there and, and more. Um, but I encourage you to choose community. Step into that. Lean into that. If you want to normalize a better life, you can't do it on your own. Isolation will kill you. Loneliness will destroy you. But unity and community is a foretaste of eternity. Let's pray. Lord God, um, I know here there, there are people that are listening to my voice that are struggling with isolation right now. That they feel lonely, that the people that they thought they could turn to are gone or that they haven't talked to in so long that they don't even know how to start up again. Lord God, I pray that you'd encourage them to choose community that you'd speak to their heart right now and with your Holy Spirit, draw them into that. As messy, as difficult, as challenging as it is, that we would choose community and we would choose unity in that community again and again and again, that we might have a little bit of a taste, a glimpse of what heaven is going to be like. Now, with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus isn't your Lord and Savior, if you want true community, You've got to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. 
And he's inviting you today into unity with him, forgiveness of your sins, and unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ all around you. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, I'm going to say a simple prayer. I want everybody to repeat it after me, even if you're already a follower of Jesus. But for some of you, you need to pray it for the first time and mean it to declare that Jesus is your Lord and Savior and accept his gift of eternal life. Please repeat after me. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Save me. Forgive me. In faith, I declare, Jesus is Lord. Fill me with your Spirit. Help me to follow you and love others. Amen. Now with eyes still closed, hey, hey, keep your eyes closed for just a second. If you said that prayer for the first time and meant it, if today is the first day that you've made Jesus your Lord and Savior, would you please slip your hand into the air? Slip that hand in the air. We'd love to just encourage you as a community. If you're online, go to risedenver.com slash follow. Fill out that quick form. We would love to encourage you and welcome you to the family of God. Lord God, we are so grateful that you have come here today. I pray that even this morning, we would get a foretaste of eternity that we would feel that oil running down our head onto our necks, onto the collar of our robes, the dew of Mount Hermon, that we would feel that all around us as we worship you. And Lord God, we are grateful that you have given us grace, the grace we need to be forgiven and the grace we need to be with others who need forgiveness as well. We worship you and your amazing grace today. Amen. Would you please stand together as we worship?